Hello, everybody. My name is Suta, and this is the Ivy. <laughs> Shoot, you should I. write it down and like <laughs> stick it to your computer. And be like, there you go. <laughs> well, this is Melissa. Hey, Melissa. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> so that I I also can't remember what episode we're on. I think 28. 28, 28. Okay. That's amazing. I know. And usually by now people have that they're like, like stock intro in and down. I'm I haven't got there yet. I don't know what it is going to be for me. I think your nerves get you. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I think so too cuz I'm like, "Hey. <laughs> hey everybody." <laughs> Are we recording? Yes, this is recording. This, this is, is it. Okay. Welcome <laughs> to the 28th episode of the Indigenous Vision Podcast. I'm Melissa and I'm uh, I'm coming to you from Las Vegas. How's how's it going in Montana? Oh, it's getting hot here. Tell I me about it, honey. Don't even want to go outside <laughs> during the daytime, just in the morning and the evening. And yeah. But I had a really awesome camping trip last weekend and it was, I lost track of time. The location was super amazing and I got to see a thunderstorm on the prairies that I hadn't, Ooh. you know, thunderstorms on the prairies are a little different than. They're kind of scary. Sometimes they uh, spawn tornadoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This As a prairie, uh, a lady from the plains. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of scary sometimes. This one had a huge cloud and all over Blackfoot territory, people from Sixaga and Alberta and down to Montana were all posting different angles of this one thunder cloud. And I was sitting on the southeast side of it in my little cargo trailer watching it. And I was like, well, it might get here tonight. Hopefully it goes around. And it was outside. It was it just kind of made me kind of made me in awe of our ancestors ways and the the conical shape of teepees and how that is designed to withstand high winds like that is just amazing because sitting in that a little uh aluminum square box of a cargo trailer was just the the aluminum panels fluttered so you know how it, like for movie noises for thunderstorms they'll take the panels of metal and like ripple them to make thunderstorm yeah so that's what it sounded like inside the cargo trailer but outside wow. it didn't it sounded like the wind was blowing but um it was like a super storm inside <laughs> you know what i remember going camping with my parents in our territory in manitoba by a lake actually and we were in, all in a tent and there was a brutal thunderstorm at nighttime and it was extreme like it was an extreme storm and we somehow just survived we were just in this little tent but we woke up the next day actually i woke up laughing the next day it was one of those times but there was a tornado it was actually a tornado storm like not far from where we were isn't that so crazy how you can be in these little structures and it's almost like you're protected by some external energy like I always think about that when I think about people camping in storms. I'm like, somehow you just survive. It's it's really yeah, freakish in a way. Well, and I don't know if the mosquitoes have gotten worse. I we probably have less um mosquito eating birds and all of that kind of stuff. The the whole environmental ecosystem is is just off balance, but I don't remember as many mosquitoes when I was little. I um my mom and I, my mom went with me and she um we were talking about how we were just less fearful when we were younger or when she was younger and when I was younger, because her and I and my brothers and si sisters would go out to a top of the hill with just our sleeping bags and sleep under the stars. And oh now goodness. I cannot imagine doing that with 
Onan, I can't imagine like my mom was a brave mom and that was so she she gave us some cool experiences, but I can't imagine I'm mortal now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even believe that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was one time where we were sleeping on a hill and I had my older sister and my younger sister and my little brother and her. And I think we slept around a campfire and my mom dreamt of a bear walking around us and her and the mama bear were talking to each other and they were both saying to each other, don't hurt my babies. Don't hurt my babies. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yes. That's so Um, cool. mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you got out. Yeah. Oh, we both got an edit, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hold on, let me let me yell that I'm on a podcast once again. Okay. I don't know if they heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so the other day, I took my roller skates out. Finally, it took uh, like 15 minutes to get my balance again, but I felt like I could go fast and turn and stop, and it's, it was just like riding a bike. I was like, wow. Yes. Yeah, roller skating super fun. I'm so glad <laughs> it's back. I'm so glad it's back. Me too. Me too. But I want to get some of the roller skates that look like Vans shoes. You know, they have like soft um, mm-hmm. suede suede boots and the little stripes on them. I'm used to the derby skates. I don't remember what they're called. Rydells. Yeah, that's Rydell, what I have. Rydells. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so those are like made for speed, right? They're kind of fast skates. And they're wide. So you can like really shift around in them and do moves. <laughs> Do moves. Oh my goodness. Yeah. When I was roller skating here, I got, I saw a level of skate style and fashion from the black community that I've never seen before. They literally were just putting their own shoes on skates and it yeah. looked so cool and different types of wheels. Like I just got opened up to a whole new world and it's incredible to see how much it's evolved since like the eighties when I was like a kid. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was I was amazed at lately too is looking at all the different styles of boots that there are. And I think I do want to settle on some of those bands because well, I don't know. I like the the R3s, the right L3s, but they're familiar. And then I got a boot, like a tall boot, the kind of the traditional style with a heel, and I feel like I'm on a heel a little bit. And then I noticed that it helps me squat down a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like those suede shoes would be more comfortable, though. Odin loved it. Yeah, he was like, you're fast, mom. (laughs) That's awesome. Did he try skating? He does. He has a skateboard. Um, And so he's trying to learn how to skate on that. And so far, he he can squat down on it and kind of turn back and forth like this. Cool. Yeah. Can't wait till everything's open and we can all hang out again. Right. Oh, yeah. So we were going to talk about news lately. Yeah. What's going on? And there's actually way too much going on. I'm kind of in a blur right now. Right. Well, just yesterday for for Blackfoot people, they would really love this news. The Grassy Mountain Coal Project was denied a joint review panel, which pretty much means that the project will not proceed. And so Grassy Mountain was going to be a coal mine, an open pit coal mine that completely removed Grassy Mountain. And they're trying to spin this project as like clean coal. Crazy. You know what? Um, do they have ads too, like promoting stuff Always. like that? Always. I, I just, I've been listening to the radio probably 30 minutes a day when I do my beauty routine. And I noticed that there's, um, there's an ad going on about the pipeline and they just call it the line. And it's kind of vague when it comes on the radio. It's like, 
the line is for the American people. Like they really make it patriotic sounding. And I was like, this is about a pipeline. And it, it was just tricky how they used that kind of wording. They didn't say it was an actual underground pipeline for whatever they're doing it for and what it was actually destroying. It was just, it, they made it sound so patriotic and it was all in the, in the good spirit for the, the American people. And I like stopped what I was doing and I was like listening. I'm like, this is about a pipeline. Weird. Yeah. And I'm, you know, people always say, well, if you don't like oil, stop driving your car, or stop flying or put down the electronics. Well, no, no, no. Everything can transition to run on something much cleaner and much uh, more sustainable. And I don't know if are they're talking about line three and all of that crude oil coming down from Alberta. None of that staying here in the U.S. Like it's just jobs, like limited jobs along the pipeline, I'm pretty sure. And it's definitely not enough to sustain like a country, barely the small towns it passes through. Oh, so right next to Sweetgrass Hills, where I went camping, is a, a small town named Keevan. I was looking at the prices of houses there and I was going to try to have a stopover point where I can have elders come, you know. Oh, the town. Talk about oil boom and bust. This town is so old and the house I looked at was built in 1924 and it probably needed like a new water line from the, the house to the street. Too much work for me to do this summer. I want a map, <laughs> but this town is just like the epitome of oil boom town. There was nothing left. Um, all of the houses are from 1920. They're all falling apart. There's one store called uh, some kind of joint bar cafe type thing. Yeah, the oil boom is over. Like they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel with what they're moving through the lines and we could transition. I was looking at my next vehicle and I was thinking about like between a diesel and an unleaded. And I think diesel engines can transfer over or be transitions to vegetable oil. But then I was like, oh, I don't like the intensive monocropping either. <laughs> so like dang it but you know what I've got options right it's not just black mm -hmm. or white to me like I'm thinking about uh my next vehicle I get and if that vehicle can transition over to alternative fuels and or be electric because I still think that's a super like a billion dollar idea because how many like how many customers would you have if you opened up a, a car garage that transitioned gasoline engines to electric engines i think you would be a billionaire probably i would definitely um consider that okay. i have never had a car and i'm i'm thinking i'm getting close to the time when i want to have a car now and i definitely want something that's good for the environment or better in mm -hmm. a way mm -hmm. electric yeah I mean, I want a tesla right like everybody wants a tesla but like that's just so unrealistic right now Right. And then they make a bunch of half electric, half gas cars, but they're not really electric because you mm -hmm. can only go like so many miles on it. But the the, uh, the vehicle originally started out as electric or on hemp. Maybe I don't have my history right, but gas came in much later, oil and fossil fuels. And it was an industry that just got big. And now the industry that needs to get big again is this electric car industry. And I think it's coming. I mean, it can't not come because 
we're you know, fossil fuels are a finite resource and we will run out of them. So whoever jumps on transitioning into these new economies is going to be the forefather of that industry. If you have enough money to to join now, you you'll, you'll probably lead it. So what else is going on? Oh yeah, Canada decided that they're they can't be sued. They can't what? be sued and I can't by, sue for Canada the res- for the for the residential school survivor thing. Where did that news? And go? what is the count up now? It's so dark and like awful. They haven't even got to Alberta yet. Ugh. I saw one from Manitoba. Yeah, that's my I have my my dad's side of the family is all in the western part of Manitoba, which is where that was. Mm-hmm. And they said, like we've been saying the whole time, yes, there's bodies buried there. Hello. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Yeah, they're going to find lots. They're going to find a grave at every school, I'm sure. Anyway, Canada should be held liable for that. It was their policies. And it says uh, in that article, I just... I can't believe they got away with it. That's what I keep telling myself. I cannot believe they're getting away with it. And they're just kind of like shrugging it off. Like, I'm so sorry, but there's nothing we can do. What Mm -hmm. do you mean there's nothing you can do? There's still harm being caused by it. Mm -hmm. There is something you can do. (laughs) It's just... I kind of... I always get upset with that attitude or mentality like I I feel like if you think of something then it's possible exactly. like if you have an idea or a dream then you thought of it it's possible there's got to be a way to it and I think if harm is being done then harm can be undone I have really lost all respect that I had left for the country that I was born in and I just don't I genuinely don't care because they don't care about us at all. And I, think, I was like always playing along my whole life. Right. Mm. I think it's a super valid feeling. I think a lot of elders and I think the majority of indigenous people feel that same way. Oh, yeah. Because how do you care about something or how do you feel patriotic about something that targets you for putting nuclear waste in your backyard or you have to explain uh, your humanity and need for clean water too? And how your need for clean water is just as valid as like London, Ontario's or something like that. So exactly, exactly. So now I'm seeing um, a lot of division in Canada with regards to the upcoming Canada Day holiday that I, I used to celebrate lovingly, especially in my early 20s. It was just a big booze fest. It was like, let's let's lift up the Canadian breweries is what I used to celebrate. And now I'm like reflecting on everything. And I'm just like, F it. Not even mm-hmm. going to acknowledge it this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people feel the same way. They're gonna like, let's just turn it orange. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I probably will. My Facebook profile is still orange. <laughs> I might have to switch over. Yeah, it's just injustice after injustice. And I think I don't know what the article said. It said uh, some kind of UN tribunal lawyer says that Canada can't be held liable for residential schools. Something along that lines was the headline. What? And I think that's crap. I think well, then crap. who is? Who's responsible? Us? Because it's not it's not the native <laughs> communities. Did we ch- we did not choose to have our children taken away? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even process that right now. I, did, I actually didn't know that, that you saw that article. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. It just kind of briefly. Um, wow. What a blow. Came across my timeline. What a bummer. 
I know it sounds like it's old information that maybe during the truth and reconciliation reconciliation commission reporting time when they were getting that together that they might have decided that but i think i don't know i i guess the whole system falls apart if you can be considered liable for things i but the, the it's the colonial system right like people the whole game is is on liability like uh we were talking earlier in our working group with how like challenges to young native environmental organizations. And um, when Laura and I were putting together all those community events, the first thing people would ask us is, okay, do you have a permit and do you have insurance? Well, and guess what? Individuals can get permits, but a group of people for community events needs a special kind of insurance. That's really hard to get as an individual. So you need a fiscal sponsor or a community partner, or you just need the city to host it for you. And I think a lot of, we couldn't get that a lot of times. So we just kind of went rogue and just said, well, let's just do it in the park and you show up at your own risk. Um, Rogue is how I live. (laughs) You know, I, the more and more I, I just have this disdain for the whole system. I'm just like, F it, F mm-hmm. it. Like I'm at a point where I just don't care anymore. Right. So tired of playing along with them. Like it's just getting exhausting. It's like you play along with their stupid little game and they just keep trying to keep you down. I know that's such a cliche, but it's true. It really is. Yeah. Oppressed by the man. There's so many small print in everything that we do every day. Like think of, like how much small print do we go through on our phone and we're, we're giving up our profile information, our pictures, our identity. I hate, yeah, it's the small print of those policies that, that come at me, changed. come get me then. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know exactly where I am. Come Let's get me. Speak, speaking of which, um, this is for everybody who's out there who who has an older relative. Just call and check on them because right before we recorded or started recording, I got a call from a, I think it was a 602 number. And I was like, I don't recognize this. I get calls from kind of internationally because it's a, a work phone That's number. my area code. 602? That's Phoenix. Oh, yeah, it is. Duh. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, honey, that's my that's how my phone number starts. Well, mine's 480. It's still an Arizona zip code. But it was the Social Security Administration office calling to tell me that my Social Security number has been suspended due to scam or fraudulent activity. What? Everybody, this is a scam. The Social Security office will never call you and like suspend your number. So don't. They tr- yeah, they truly don't, don't call care. Them back. <laughs> don't call them back. Don't pay any money. Um, definitely don't confirm your identity or your Social Security number because they're trying to Ugh. take your take your money or your your taxpayer ID. You know, I'm the kind of person that when I get a, a spam call, I'll like because I got time. Like I got time. <laughs> I'm a self-employed. Uh, contractor, freelancer. So I'm sitting at home all day. I love it when I get calls from people. I'll like tie them up. I'll ask them about their personal lives. Like, cause I've been in a call center before. Mm-hmm. They, they hate their job. They really yeah. do. Yeah. So I play around with them mm-hmm. if I get a person, but uh, the car warranty one is really, really wearing me out lately. Right. I have to tell them I don't even have a car. Have- I'm like, what car do I have? <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> Honey, I don't even have a car. Oh, dear. That's a good PSA, though. So, yeah, watch out for that uh, social security scam. 
If you get a call or email from anyone telling that you that your personal information or one of your accounts is like extremely some way, just it's a scam. Yeah, my mom will uh, forward me email. She's like, is this right? And I'm like, nope, especially for stuff like PayPal. Mm -hmm. I have uh, scammers who are always trying to break into my big cartel store where I sell my merchandise for my record label. They're always trying to like, hey, you need to up update your password. I'm like, no, I don't. Scammer. <laughs> oh my God. Scammer. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I've been scammed a couple times. So I, I've, I got a pretty good eye for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, good word. Right. Yeah. There, there was a couple of years ago where I saw a friend's dad get super worried and super frantic because they said something about back taxes and withdrawing all the money out of his bank, unless he paid so many thousands of dollars at that moment. And, and the kicker red flag for me was that they didn't take payment over the phone. They needed gift cards from fries. Yes. That's <laughs> super massive red flag gift cards. <laughs> Even when I see people buying gift cards, I'm like, Ooh, what are you up to? <laughs> yeah um, otherwise i've just been looking at my maps looking at where fires might be burning this year trying to plan out my field schedule because i want to i want to go into some areas where grasses are really deep um if they burn because you'll be able to see things more cool so keeping an eye on those and yeah that's all i've been up to that's all that's all. <laughs> no, that sounds like a all. lot. That's sounds like all. a lot. It's actually not all. Um, we have this really cool study. You'll like this one. So one of our project partners is Working Dogs for Conservation. And we are, they have uh, working dogs that they've trained to sniff out mink and otter scat. And so then we, we'll go find that scat and take it back to the lab. And then we're going to assess environmental heavy metal pharmaceutical and flame retardant levels in that habitat. Um, right now, we're calling all around the country and the state of Montana and looking at certain permits between me and the partners that we need to handle chronic wasting disease. And it's, it's bad. For those of you who don't haven't ever heard of chronic wasting disease, it's a prion um, in the environment that is affecting ungulates. So deer, elk, uh, mule tail, mule, or excuse me, mule tail, mule deer, white tails, moose, elk, so mule sad. deer, white tails. And it, it if, essentially causes like this mad cow type disease, uh, spongy encephalitis, um, it mushes up their brain. And then they just stop becoming uh, scared of predators and they'll stand there, you know, if when they're supposed to be running away, they start shaking, you know, when brains fail, they foam and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And so it spreads in the most horrible way through saliva and excrement, uh, fecal matter, any kind of, so if they're um, oozing foam at the mouth, any plant or soil that that foam or drool touches is going to be contaminated for at least two years, which is huge repercussions across the entire country. And so uh, you think about all of these deer running through our wheat fields, you think about our food supply, how the problem is, is that these prions can be, they have plant uptake 
the prion stays active in the plant even after it was taken up. So it's got this maladjusted prion in the plant that animals are eating or us because we pick mint, sage, and sweetgrass all in these areas. And so it has huge implications for like subsistence style living, like traditional hunting and harvesting medicinal plants. And it's a climate impact. So I'm trying to put together this study with awesome, awesome people. We got Blackfeet Environment, Blackfeet Fishing Game, Montana Wyoming Fishing Game Commission, which is most of the tribes in Montana and Wyoming are part of that. And um, any initiative, any means bison uh, or Kainai Ecosystem Protection Association, Bikani Land Historical Mapping, Northern Bikani and Amska Bikani. And uh, some of the colleges are getting involved with it too, Blackfeet Community College to implement the like the citizen science rollout of the whole thing. And it's just this huge project. So we sweep the dogs through, find those environmental contaminants, uh, locate illegal dumps, um, abandoned mines with acid mine drainage. And then we sweep through with the dogs after they're trained with chronic wasting disease and identify those areas and then see if there's any correlation between the animals that are in high contaminated areas with like flame retardant, because people like these land managers are just bringing planes and like dumping flame retardant on just fine landscape. Like, you know, fire is natural (laughs) and fire is only so horrible because we haven't let it burn and fire only burns hot when you you've restricted the burn for for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So we need those burns. We need that killing of pests and disease because that's what gets rid of mosquitoes. That's what gets rid of ticks. That's that could be what gets rid of chronic wasting disease, but it's all off. It's all imbalanced. And I just want to take, and luckily my, my nation, the Blackfeet nation is, is all on board and equally concerned as me. And so I just, I love this project that we're going into. Plus we're using dogs. Dogs are are super sacred in Blackfoot community. They are, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't be a Blackfoot woman who owned a lodge without a dog. So as Blackfoot women, we, we were the lodge owners and part of owning a lodge was having that dog to take your lodge with you. And so I feel like they helped us move camps. They helped us keep camp and protect camp. And now they're helping us protect our food and our land and, it's just, I get all, I get all teary, happy feeling when I think of that. Like puppies, That's awesome. Oh, puppies. Yes. But so, yeah, looking, I'm, I'm probably one of the only females. I, we're rare females where we um, spend our jobs and our time seeking out excrement. <laughs> my past though. <laughs> Like people like me have no idea what about that. Like, thank goodness you're doing that. My past job was as a drinking water operator. And part of that job is knowing how to maintain sewage lift stations and wastewater treatment plants. And, and there is a small group of us women who would smell the wastewater treatment plant. And one lady was like, you smell that girls. It smells like money. (laughs) (laughs) whoa i know tough girls huh super tough i'd be gagging my ass off 
right like right. that i am such a city girl suit to like i just i don't know what i'm gonna do when it all comes down because it's gonna be like i don't know that's awesome i'm uh, i'm trying yeah. to get i'm trying to learn some immigration laws because i'm trying to sponsor a band from chile to come here and perform in may of 2022 so that's what i'm currently teaching myself is how to sponsor for these special specific visas to have oh, cool. visitors from another land come here and then you know i'm going to record a live album of them in a studio here in vegas and then they're going to go on tour throughout texas through my buddy who owns a, a record label out there so i'm learning how to get people sponsored and it sounds like it's really difficult to get i think the the I think 90% of people get rejected when you apply for this visa for some reason, because this whole game to get into the USA, make money as an entertainer, you have to be like super famous or something. So we're pretty mm -hmm. much going to try and make them seem as famous as possible. I love lying on paperwork. I do it all the time, <laughs> but, but um, I'm just going to make them seem like these huge superstars and hopefully make myself seem like a superstar. And then they'll hopefully accept them into the country because it's time to party with our relatives from South America. Oh, that's so elitist. It's so elitist. Right? That you can only be famous if you tour, yeah. tour in America. Athletes tour in? And, and artists, you have to be super noteworthy or else you're just not Weird. accepted for some reason, which is crazy. There's this punk rock band out of Paris, France called Live Force or there used to be. Um, that sounds familiar. Live Force. Yeah, they mm. come to America a lot to tour. And I don't feel like they were particularly like wealthy right. or well-known. It was just like a, I mean, we were having shows in people's basements. Yeah. So I think, I think there's got to be a way around it. I don't know if things have changed mm -hmm. in the past few years. Like I, I don't have nothing to compare it to, unfortunately, but I'm embarking on this paperwork colonial journey to see if we can have like a good time next year because wow. it's so cool to have music musicians from different parts of the world especially south america you know mm -hmm. like i feel i've always felt really connected to people in south america yeah me too i feel like a lot of their ways are are also our ways and they have the the prophecy of the eagle meeting the condor or the condor meeting the eagle and yeah and we used to have a chief called pinacoyim his name was it means seen from afar a cool name because he actually went really far places he he was reported to have traveled all up and down that old north trail to every ocean throughout texas you'll find blackfoot things pinacoyim left and i think he went down to south america as mm -hmm. well i would like he, to do that as yeah. well i i consider myself sort of a wanderer as well and i would love to i could totally see that back in the day just walking all the way down there mm -hmm. there's a name for it i can't remember what it's called oh the rapper azamali called it a name where it's it's like a just a conjoined thing the americas hmm. yeah yeah the line i remember mm-hmm <laughs> but yeah, I've been studying South America the past few years since I've been making friends down there and how they've been colonized and you have their, you know, the Argentina is super like Italian influenced and Brazil is Portugal influenced and the countries on the West like Peru and Chile are the least colonized as far as like you can see the features still in the people there, right? Mm -hmm. Unless I'm tripping out because <laughs> I don't like to like sound like I'm studying people. 
like that, like specimens or something, but you can see the level of colonization as from, you know, just like here in America, from mm-hmm. East to West, how right. it went down, right? The Spanish, the Italian or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The level of assimilation and with what yeah. like dominant just region. how people look. You can see mm-hmm. how, how the blood has dispersed throughout the population today. Trips me That's- out. That's so interesting. That's one of the things I like wonder about all the time. And it's not my area of study, but I'm not a creationist. I I guess I'm a Blackfoot creationist because I know my origin stories. They have something to them. They are true. I'm not sure I subscribe to like evolutionary theories because where are those missing links? Like where's the skeleton of halfway between a monkey and a human? Where's that skeleton? It's Mm. just a theory. Like there's nothing. Where are the skeletons of like animals that turned into different animals or this animal descended from that animal? Where, where's the in-between skeletons? I don't know. Talk about tripping out. I I can trip (laughs) out on that for a long time. (laughs) Look, and then I start Googling like missing links. (laughs) Yeah. I've been doing it a lot with South America. So I really need to go down there and just see for myself. I really want to see Argentina and I really want to see Chile and I want to compare them. I want to compare the people because I'm noticing like there's like indigenous features are more prominent in the people from Chile. Whereas the people that I, I know in Argentina, which is a, a great handful, like a probably a few dozen, they're really European looking. Like but Shakira? in Chile, yeah. <laughs> She's from Colombia though. Yeah, yeah. But I, there's, there's people that I know and bands that I play who have really strong Italian looking features. And then my friends in Chile, they, you can tell like they had an indigenous ancestor not that far down mm-hmm. the bloodline. So interesting. Oh, I, I would love, love to. Make I love it. it. I, would, I would love to make it to South America too. There's the oldest mummies in the world come from South America. Wow. Older than the older than the pyramid mummies. And then the pyramid mummies are, there's an interesting documentary out there called the tobacco mummies, which are Egyptian mummies preserved with tobacco and coca uh, in a time where there was no tobacco or coca bean or whatever. There was none of that in Egypt. time travel? (laughs) Are you talking about time travel now? (laughs) I don't know what's going on. (laughs) But I know that these Egyptians had to be either trading with South America or um, right relatives of South America because if what was it tobacco oh my god I was just gonna say coffee but if if tobacco and um, coca bean didn't exist in or coke in the form that it I don't know didn't exist in Egypt then where did they get it and why are their mummies preserved over right. on that continent? with stuff that didn't grow on that continent. Like the world is so huge and vast that science kind of knows and we have theories, but those theories have a lot of holes and not a lot of supporting evidence. And I just think that it's super magical and fun. It is like, we weren't there, but could you imagine, can you imagine it being like 2000 years ago, you're hanging out on the West coast, just doing your like indigenous thing. And then like something from like the East comes like from Asia Like, I'm sure that happened a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. all the travelers arriving and just sharing and not trying to take over the whole country, just visiting. Just visiting. Yeah. I would love to visit. That's why I like wandering. I would have wandered all over the place Mm -hmm. like I am right now. 
Well, and that was more common. Like it wasn't all bloody warfare. Like people stereotype it out to be mm-hmm. like um, here in Missoula, Montana, this kid who was in high school. I don't know if he's still in high school may have taken my words and, and twisted those to make us look savage actually called us savages the indians here were savages that's why hellgate canyon is called hellgate canyon because there were so many bones in hellgate canyon because it was all about warfare right they think but it wasn't it was about i think those bones there were about protection and protecting your hunting territory and i don't think they were bones from like everyday wanderers they were bones from people who looked like legit war parties coming through Hmm. And that's, there's a big difference. So if you're a traveler and you're sending messages to tribes of this coming out, I think you're allowed to pass. But obviously, if you're coming up on a hunting outpost and you're looking like a big fierce war party, there's probably a battle that's going to go down because the battle happens there or it happens farther in inland or like in our territory where there's women and children. Mm-hmm. people got it all wrong we weren't I think we had a lot more traveling and a cool map I'm looking for if any listener has seen it before is right along the Rocky Mountains north to south is uh, the old north trail and then there's a east-west branch of that and then there's also an east-west branch at Chaco Canyon and north north south there too and then there's over in Ohio southeastern area there's Cahokia and that had huge those roads were 30 feet wide that's how massive much, how much travel is walking through that area if your roads are that wide and straight and well done mm-hmm. yeah we we traveled a lot i think it's in our blood to travel and it's totally not, not bloody warfare no like we weren't beefing with each other non-stop mm-hmm. like it was quite the opposite in fact there's a lot of mm-hmm. sharing, a lot of getting to know and visiting and relaying information, you know, stuff like that. It wasn't, if you look at me, I'm going <laughs> right. to take you, take what you tri- your whole village down. Right. What tribe are you? Because that depends how I'm going to treat you. No, no, no. There, my elders told me, um, some of the elders that work with the, uh, the Blackfoot Confederacy, the consultant managers, they told me that there are places in the landscape that are like obvious indicators of these places. Like you might hear east of you in Manitoba are the Peace Hills. Yes. And so that's, or no, that's west of you. East of us is the Peace Hills. So even if a Cree and a Blackfeet meet in there, it's like a mandated place on the landscape where peace happens, like you're safe in that area. And I'm, I kind of wonder, half wonder if that's like because of sacredness, because the landscape can be so sacred that there is no fighting in that area. You don't Mm -hmm. bring that kind of energy to the area. And so it was mandatory peace, peacekeeping area. Yeah, I've been reading all my Anishinaabe books and um, war parties were really rare because people were like, we're against it. If you Mm -hmm. if you got a beef with someone, you take care of it yourself. But then there would be like the young people wanting to earn respect and yeah. would join in you know but it wasn't like these massive unless it was obviously colonizers <laughs> colonizers are settlers <laughs> they had it coming though <laughs> just kidding right. just kidding. <laughs> i know i love reading the old stories and then it just turns into a sad story and i just want to keep i just want to stay in like the beautiful part of the story 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm at the point now where they're starting to have contact with the settlers and the treaties are being drawn up and they're having like deliberations with all the tribes and everyone's like, we don't trust them. And then just, I'm trying to imagine what that must've felt like to been, to have been in that time to see these people come up and like have all this jargon talk and papers and talking about, you know, we're both going to live here. Are you okay with that? It was the kind of vibe that they gave, but it was like their intentions were totally different. Nope. Yeah. And they didn't really understand. And then everybody's gut was the same. This is bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at in my research of the Anishinaabe. And the disease was bad. That right around that settlement time mm-hmm. is when the tuberculosis and smallpox start hitting second waves and third waves of smallpox taking out entire villages. Yeah, that's a sad period. And that's where my survivor's guilt comes from. Because my grandma, my great grandma, Bessie Cabell, she was born in the winter of starvation winter for our people. And during that winter, it is reported that people had a hard time, you know, I mean, feeding themselves, feeding their children. And my grandma was born that year and survived. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I mean, I feel like survivor's guilt from that which is survivor's guilt is weird. It's like a guilt you shouldn't have. Right. I, 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 yeah, I have that as well from my parents, like in my grandparents' residential school experience. I feel like because I have such a crazy life and I'm just so wild, like I've had a really extreme life. I'm like, I feel like I don't deserve all this, even though it's super awesome. Mm-hmm. But I do. Right. Right. And that that's like, I wonder if that's something similar to that crab in the bucket syndrome where, where, you know, that's our thinking that what you just did, that's our thinking when I think yeah. like that, it's like it's dragging us down. Yeah. It's a script. And then the crab in the bucket is dragging others down when they start to get successful or do something other. It's all internalized oppression. It is. Even in my height of my radio career in Canada, like Sirius XM, like I was at the the height of my game. I felt really reluctant to celebrate it because I didn't want to piss anybody off or seem like I was gloating in like my talent and success, Mm -hmm. which is why it's kind of always been low key. I mean, (laughs) I got the accolades to back it up. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because I don't really talk about it because I felt like I didn't deserve it or something which is just a psychological mess yeah be proud yeah and this year I've really been kind of owning it now I just don't care anymore so it's kind of (laughs) it's kind of like I'm, I'm still kind of out there but I'm but I'm really proud of everything I've done despite everything and I was actually on someone's podcast yesterday a totally random lady I connected with on this Facebook group I'm a part of for entrepreneurs so weird. I'm like, this lady has a podcast called, uh, it's, it's about healing through food. So I went on there and I was like, I don't know how much I should tell her. She's pretty white. She's pretty, you know, do I go into my history and my crazy drug booze fueled twenties and how I became like a clean eater and I'm healing now. And I kind of just sugarcoated it all for her so that it would be presented well on her platform. But then at, then after the, the recording, I kind of broke everything down to her. And she was just kind of like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, I used to be a drug addict. And like, I used to have this wild lifestyle. And now I'm a vegan. And I healed myself through it. And 
she was just kind of silent. And I was like, see, that's why I don't tell people sometimes because they can't, they, it's really hard to process. But then she hired me to produce her podcasts professionally. Amazing. So yeah, again, like I'm, I'm still running those scripts in my head. Like, I don't know if I should share my whole authentic self with people yet. I'm going to freak mm-hmm. them out somehow, or they're going to judge me, but she seemed okay about mm-hmm. it and was like, fine. Just amazing. Right. Well, it's like all in her head. Yeah. It's the fear of those preconceived notions and assumptions of you being a a brown indigenous um, addict. Yeah, it really is. It's it's so sad. (laughs) I hate stereotypes. (laughs) Right. Uh, And then I think like like, all the stuff that I accomplished while I was an addict was still pretty amazing. So imagine what I'm going to do in the next few years. Snap. I'm going to snap. Well, were you an addict if you can stop? I had, yeah. Here's the thing about the drugs that I did. I had, I had an addiction to not a severe addiction, but I really enjoyed doing drugs. That was the thing. Like I liked it. I did. And I had to quit them over almost a 10 year period. My first one was in 2006. I stopped crystal meth. And then I stopped LSD and then I stopped psychedelic mushrooms and then I stopped MDMA and I had a really unhealthy relationship with cocaine until 2014. And then 2019, I stopped drinking. Wow. 2014 is like the year before I met you. Yeah, I was. Yeah. If you had met me a year before, I was still a cocaine addict. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine. Right. So people don't know that about me because I've carried myself so well and I've accomplished so many things. I was like this high functioning addict. Wow. And I, I always like hold back from telling people that because I'm like, well, people can tell that I'm obviously very different. I'm really, I'm really alternative or whatever. And I'm really different. Like I have a really strange way that's charming at the same time of communicating and just being who I am but I'm like it's because I've done all these weird things in my life like drugs I've been in a really heavy circle of people throughout my like early 20s to like Mm -hmm. early 30s but at the same time I always held down a job I always paid my rent I always paid my bills somehow it's just so crazy yeah I went to like Alcoholics Anonymous for family members and stuff like that and those are functioning functioning addicts yeah. Which is where nothing they can they can maintain the addiction all mm-hmm. throughout the day and, and the I job. It, I was like, I'm just gonna go party this weekend. Meanwhile, <laughs> like it's totally self-destructive. But I had this exterior that looked really fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. It was really well, it's good. the lifestyle. Like you're a DJ and you get to hang out with artists and musicians and the party. We're doing and- club nights every weekend. We're doing like all kinds of stuff throughout the week. And yeah, like there was all kinds of events that the lifestyle was tied to even like sporting events I would go to. And there's people like doing drugs there. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. So I have like this psychological thing where I feel like I'm like this tainted, talented person. <laughs> that sounds like a great book. <laughs> Oh, how did I get here? And then I know people like, well, why did you do so much drugs? And I'm like, do you really want to talk about that now? Like my suppressed anger, the 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 sad history of like my family bloodline. It's just like it's all tied to the root of white supremacy. Is what Mm. I finally broke through in 2020. I can't believe it took me that long to realize that. 
Like, I just thought it was all these other things. But then I was like, wait a minute. This is white supremacy trickled down. It is. It's it's that oppression on our life and our spirit and our future and our decision making. It's all oppression on various different levels of mental, physical and spiritual levels that just it hurts. It hurts to have to confine such big, beautiful spirits into this like cookie cutter, black and white colonial lifestyle. It's just right. And I'm, I don't take it seriously anymore. Like I just, I just don't take it seriously. Like I play games with the IRS. I write them letters. (laughs) Like I said, I have time to play these games with people. (laughs) I mean, I'm still doing legal stuff. Like I'm still in good standing, but I play games with people because I'm just like, you know what? I got time. I'm going to make a mess for you just a little bit. So I'm a bit of a punk still. Same, same, but not really with like my, my customer service people that I call for like credit cards and stuff like that. I know they're in India. And so I'm like, so how's the pandemic over there? <laughs> do right? you have to go to work or do, or do they let, do they let you work from home? And I'm like, what did you have for lunch? Or what are you having for lunch? Right. Is it the end of the day? <laughs> Cause they're like ahead 12 hours or something yeah. like that. Amazing. Well, thanks for coming to my TED talk. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, thanks. Thanks listeners for coming to uh, just the daily life of two indigenous women working through colonial systems. Real AF <laughs> up in here. It really is. Proud of it. <laughs> That's all we have for you today. Everybody stay safe and healthy. Love.